Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17 is where we will be in God's word. And while you're turning there, just want to express my thanks for, for this pastoral team, Daniel, Timothy, Aaron, for opportunity to share God's word. I'm, as Daniel said, Evan, I'm on staff here as a pastoral resident. And if this is your first time uh, with us here at Christ Central, we're really glad that you are here because um, you could have been anywhere. You could have been at home watching Disney Plus. Uh, or in the line at Popeye's getting a chicken sandwich, but you came here uh, to hear the word of God and uh, certainly grateful to see you. As I was praying for our, our time together in the word, um, I, was, I was thinking about a conversation, a brief conversation I had with a friend. So as Daniel said, I, I do some work as a counselor. And I remember one day, uh, sometimes in between sessions, you know, we just kind of check in with each other as counselors because uh, things can be heavy sometimes. And a friend of mine, he uh, had just finished this, a session and it was really heavy. Um, and he didn't share any details, but uh, he, he said just simply, Evan, there's a lot of hurt out there. There's a lot of hurt out there. And that really resonated uh, with me because it can be easy for me to forget that that we've come here and we're smiling, we're looking good, uh, but don't want to neglect the fact that there's, there's some hurt out there. There's some hurt in this room. I just want to consider how, how does God fit into all that? How do we include him in a way that is honoring? So we're gonna get into the word together. If you are able, I ask that you would stand as we hear God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The very words of our God. Amen. 
Amen. Y'all not going to leave me here by myself. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, what a great privilege it is to know you and to serve you. Lord, I pray that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before the advent of modern medicine, psychiatric hospitals would employ various techniques to assess if their patients were recovering well enough to re-enter society. One procedure that was used is when doctors would lead their patients down this corridor and they would enter into a broom closet. In this broom closet, there was a broom, a mop, and this kind of industrial sink. So what the doctor would do is he would uh, lead the patient into the broom closet, walk in, turn the water on on this sink, watch as the water would come out of the faucet, and they would grab a stopper and stick the stopper into the drain. And he would watch as the water would kind of bubble up. And before the water would overflow and hit the floor, the doctor would grab a mop, put it in the hand of the patient, and tell him to fix the problem. Then he would leave, give him a few moments, and then he would re-enter the closet. And if, when entering the closet, he would find the patient mopping the floors, they knew that that patient was not ready to re-enter society. Why? Because the patient did not have the perspective to see the deeper issue of the mess. Because they weren't able to actually point to the problem, the true problem, the stopper, they were not ready to move on. When I think of the Christian life, I think of a similar struggle. That many of us, we see the mess on the floor of our lives and instead of looking to the stopper, the deeper issue, we're busy mopping the floors. Mopping the mess, mess of our marriage, the mess of our job, the mess of our school, mess, mess, mess. Not realizing, is there a deeper issue to address? Am I missing the point of the problem? As we approach our text, we see Jesus continuing his ministry being met by 10 lepers. At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has spent years teaching, preaching, and performing miracles, revealing, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And at this point in Luke's gospel, it says he's on his way to Jerusalem, that he's in his final months of his ministry. It's in Jerusalem that we'll see the culmination of his ministry. In Jerusalem, that's when we see the crucifixion. In Jerusalem, Jesus will die for the sins of the world. But on his way to Jerusalem, he stops by a village. And when he gets to this village, he's met by 10 lepers that cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
There's a few things to note about this exchange. That to be a leper was a miserable existence. That your body was afflicted, your body was mangled, your skin was torn, your bones are broken. You would have open sores that would emit a terrible odor. Your body was afflicted. And on top of that, not only did you have this struggle, this cursed physical ailment, but there was also a social and spiritual component to this. That if you had this contagious disease, that you were expected to keep your distance from other people. In fact, it was written in the Levitical law, the law of the Jews, to stay away. Hear these words from Leviticus 13. It says, And the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. If you were a leper, you were a literal social outcast. No one would have association with you. And if you got too close, you were expected to cover your lip and shout out, unclean, to warn somebody that somebody that is dangerous and contagious is coming into their presence. Social outcast. Now, on top of that, there was the spiritual struggle because it was believed that leprosy had a close connection to sin and rebellion. We see this in Numbers chapter 12 with Miriam. We, we see this in 2 Kings 15 with King Uzziah, that sin and leprosy had a close connection. So there was even a spiritual isolation. You're cut off from your family, cut off from your friends, cut off from the worshiping community. These 10 lepers are experiencing a miserable existence and then they see Jesus they've heard about this Jesus we don't know what they heard maybe they heard that he has opened blinded eyes and raised folks from the dead maybe he's heard that he's fed thousands of people maybe they heard about how he healed the leprous man in chapter 5 of this very gospel we don't know what they heard but whatever they heard they are convinced that Jesus is the answer to their situation Whatever they heard, they know that Jesus can do something about their experience. And instead of crying out, unclean, unclean, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There's a lot to unpack there. Did you notice in verse 12 that they stood at a distance? Why would they stand at a distance from an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-benevolent God? Because they're not sure if God's mercy is enough for their mess. They're not sure if God's power is enough for their pain. And so they've met Jesus, but they stand at a distance from him because they're not sure that if they come too close to him that they might mess up God. I imagine someone in here can relate to that. That you're here, you've met Jesus, You've been tracking with us in the scripture reading and the announcements. You've you've been tracking with us in the songs and you're sitting under the teaching of God's word. But 
Somebody in here, you're, you're not sure if you really belong here. Am I too close to God? I, I, just, I feel so dirty. Am I too unclean to be in God's presence? I just want to encourage you at that very next verse and how it starts in verse 14. When he saw them. Such an almost insignificant phrase, but he saw them. These men were struggling to believe that they could fully come to God's presence and he saw them. No contempt. No disgust, no dismissal, compassion. He sees the broken. They cry out, have mercy on us. There's no entitlement. Can you sense the posture of these lepers? You cannot acknowledge Jesus as master until you have enough humility to be a servant. Your posture shows what you believe about your problems and your God. Your posture shows this. They had a posture of a servant crying out master. And Jesus, he responds. He says in verse 14, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, the issue with him saying that is that you were not supposed to go before the priest until you were sure that you were clean. You dare not come to the priest unless the leprosy was gone. So for Jesus to say, go and show yourselves to the priest, what he's essentially saying is, you are healed. But notice in verse 14 that it says, as they went. They were cleansed. I'm just trying to picture how, how this, this moment went, that, that, that Jesus proclaims over them they are healed. And I imagine they're looking down at themselves and no, 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 no change. I can I, I, I picture them kind of touching their skin and, oh, no, no, no change. What do you do when, when God proclaims his word over your life, but when you look at your life, you see no change. I, I, I hear it, but I, I don't see it. I, I, I hear God's word when he says, I know the plans that I have for you. But when you look at your life, you see no plan, no purpose. You, you hear weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But you look at your life and you see no joy. You, 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 you hear my strength is made perfect in weakness, but you look at your life and you feel so weak and so helpless. You hear God's word when he says, he who the son sets free. It's free indeed, but you look at your life and you see addiction after addiction. What do you do when you hear God's word and you see no change? Thanks be to God. That his people walk by faith and not by sight. These men, they, they heard God's word and they trusted him at his word and they responded. And because they moved, they took him at his word, their lives were changed forever. The trust and obedience, as J.C. Ryle writes, help meets us on the path of obedience. That they heard his word and they responded to him and 
they experienced God's power. It reminds me of a woman, story of this woman. She would come to church Sunday after Sunday. And the worship was going on and people were raising up their praise. And, and she, would, she would yell out, God, I thank you for my new car. And then service would let out and she'd walk, walk out of the church. And then she'd walk down to the corner at the bus stop and take the bus home. Next Sunday, she'd come to church, and folks were praising and going in and whatnot, and she'd yell out, God, I thank you for my new car. And then service would let out, and she'd walk down to the corner, get to the bus, and take the bus on home. Next Sunday, she came to church, Sunday worship happening. She yells out, God, I thank you for my new car. And service let out a little late this Sunday. And she left the service, walked out of the church building, but the bus had already left. And so she sat at the bus stop and she waited for the next bus to come. The pastor was locking up the building, saw this woman at the distance, finished locking up and went down to meet her and asked her, sister, what's, what's going on? She, she said, oh, I'm just waiting for the bus. So the pastor looked a bit perplexed and said, well, you know, that, sister, that brings to mind um, Sunday after Sunday, you come and you hollering about, God, I thank you for my new car, but you take the bus home. Why, well, why don't you drive your car to church? Is, is, is it that you don't like driving your car on the weekend? She said, no, that's not it. We said, is, is it because somebody else drives your car on Sunday so you don't take your, your car? She said, no, that's, that's not it. He said, uh, did your car break down on you? And, and so you have to, have to leave it there because it's a limit. She said, no, no, that's not it. He said, well, sister, Sunday after Sunday, you come here to church and you shout about, God, thank you for my new car. Why don't you drive your car on Sunday? She said, oh, that's simple. I don't have it yet. He looked perplexed and looking for a further explanation. And she said, well, well, God, some time ago I, I asked God for a job, and it took him a little while, but he gave me a job. Sometime after that, I was asking God for a husband. It took him a little while, but he gave me a good husband. <laughs> Sometime after that, I asked God for children. It took him a little while, but he gave me three. And, and now the job that God gave me has transferred me on the other side of town, and I need better transportation, and I've seen the Lord's faithfulness enough, and so I'm not going to wait till he gives it to me. I'm going to praise him even now because I believe that he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This woman was trusting God, and she was living out of that trust. Now, I know what's raising up in somebody right now. Yeah, it's starting to bubble up even now. I sense it. This word, this feeling, it goes by many names. The name that comes to mind is the name cynicism. Somebody in here, you heard that story and you just reacting against it. Mm. That can't happen. These can't happen to me. Maybe you're saying, oh, that sounds like that naming and claiming theology stuff. That sounds like you teach us some prosperity gospel, Evan. Be careful. <laughs> prosperity theology is harmful 
to the Christian life. And the difference between what I'm saying and what a prosperity teacher was saying is that if you believe you can have a million dollars, you can have a job, you can have whatever you want, is that, as Pastor Brian Loris says, the Bible calls us to have faith in God while prosperity teaching calls us to have faith in faith. That if you have enough faith, you can call down anything. Just have more faith. You can have money. You can have healing. You can have whatever you want. Just have more faith. But God is not our cosmic butler. He does not just bend to our will. We, we go to him because ultimately we want more of God. We seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to us. We, we go to God and we believe that he can do exceedingly, abundantly above he could ever ask or think. But the reason why we come to God is because we want God, not just stuff. We don't come to God for just a benefits package. But do you understand that God is the source of your life. Do you understand? He's the strength of your life. The, the indication of that is, is prayer. Because cynicism suffocates prayer until there is no spiritual life at all. Paul Miller wrote a wonderful book, A Praying Life, and he talks about this issue. Uh, hear his words. He says, our defining characteristic in our culture is cynicism. But that's a double-edged sword. It protects you from crushing disappointment, but it paralyzes you from doing anything. The cynic is always observing, critiquing, but never engaged, never loving and hoping. It is easier for me to feel skepticism and nothing than to feel deep passion. So cynicism takes root and feels more real to me than truth. It feels more real to me than truth. Are you cynical? Look at your prayer life for the answer. Because prayer is an acknowledgement of who is the source of everything. Prayer is the acknowledgement of who is in control. Prayer is, it shows how we view our problems and our God. As the songwriter says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer. When we get to verse 15, we see the point of the passage emerging a bit more. Then when we get to verse 15, one of the lepers sees that he's healed and he turns back and starts acting a fool. He comes back to Jesus, he's praising him, falling out at his feet. And let me, let me just go on a tangent real quick and say, God actually expects embodied worship. But what do I mean by that? Do you know that God gave you your body? What do you think he wants you to do with that body? He wants you to worship him. 
And he wants you to use it for his glory, not just to work. So even in this service, you know, we, we, we bow for confession, we, we rise for assurance, we, we eat and drink for communion. That's part of embodied worship, but don't neglect the personality of worship. It actually is very expressive. There's a lot to it than just being contemplative. That there's things in that pesky Bible, like Hebrews 13, 15, that says, offer a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of your lips, acknowledging his name. That there are things in that pesky Bible that says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout. What? Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Boy, I wish I had a cross-cultural church that could go there with me and say, God gave me the breath in my lungs. He gave me food in my belly. He gave me clothes on my back, shelter over my head, and that's just today. So I should be able to say, thank you, Jesus, for what he's done. The least you could do is say, thank you. Now remember that the next time you're singing a song and it's saying, I lift my hands. Because you don't start lying. <laughs> if you're saying you lift your hands, don't lie in this place. All right, tangent over. If you're mad about it, you can email me at pastordaniel at christcentraldurham.com. I would love to hear your concerns. So one man... He, he, he comes back, and essentially what's happening here is that he's worshiping God. He realized that the gift indicates the giver, and the giver is God, and he's worshiping the God. If you understand the right posture of the gift, it should lead you to worship. And if you do not, you might be worshiping the gift and not the giver. You might be worshiping the created and not the creator. We all worship something. Our praise shows what we believe about our problems and our God. So Jesus, he sees this worship, receives this worship, and how does he respond in verse 17? He says, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? I was expecting all of them to come and lay at my feet. Where are the nine? We don't know. The text doesn't say. Could be any number of things. Maybe, maybe these nine were more concerned about religious practice than they were about worshiping God. Right? They, they, they needed to go to the priest. They needed to go do their thing. They needed to be uh, uh, watched and, and, and cleared. And so they were concerned about doing the rituals and not really about worshiping God, which is an interesting irony when you look at verse 18, when Jesus, it's like some sanctified sarcasm here, when Jesus says, this foreigner is worshiping me. Because that word there for foreigner was actually written on the walls of the outer courts of the temple. And it was written as a threat to Gentiles to say, you dare not come into the presence of God. And Jesus says, this foreigner is in my presence. Well, I'm about to have church by myself in here. He said, while, while, while God's supposed to, people that should know better are worried about religious practice and figuring out access to God, we have a foreigner that shouldn't know better coming into the presence of God. Where are the nine? Maybe, maybe they were only committed to God as long as they had a need for God. 
So, so, so once the, the divine vending machine gave them their treat, they, they were done with him until the next time they needed something. Maybe they were more concerned about the blessings of being healed than God, right? Because they're, they're going to get to be with their family and friends again. They're going to get to socialize again, not realizing that your social life should center on Christ, not friends and family. Where are the nine? We don't know, but want to ask you, who do you relate to? More with the nine or more with the one? Where are the nine? And let me be more specific. Where are you? Because I believe when Jesus asked that question that it was just as much spiritual as it was geographical. Where are you? Because here's the thing, all 10 of the lepers met Jesus, but only one of them got to know Jesus. We see it in verse 19. Verse 19 is actually a very scary verse because Jesus says to this leper, this former leper, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And that word there for made you well is, can be translated saved. Your, you are saved. Only one actually got saved. And that's scary because you can have, you can experience the power of God without actually having the presence of God in your life. You, you, you can have the blessings of God without actually having God in your life. And too often we have the opposite in our minds. God, if you love me, give me stuff. God, if you're real, give me stuff. But you don't need the stuff. You don't need more healing. You don't need more job. You don't need more finances. What you need is God. If you don't believe me, take a look at the people of God in the Old Testament. God did all kinds of things for them. Raining down manna, giving them quail, coming out as a pillar of doggone fire. And they still didn't worship him as they should. We need God. Do we see the deeper issues of the mess? I like how John Piper says, he says, God does everything for us to be with us as our all-satisfying treasure and father and friend and savior. Do you understand that God is your all in all? Because if you don't, you are missing the point. Some years ago, there was a disaster in Chile with some Chilean miners. These men, they were, they were working, and the entrance to the mine collapsed. And these men were stuck, and it made international news because uh, people didn't know if they were going to make it. Um, they were in that mine for 69 days, trapped. And over the course of that time, they had a rescue team that, that drilled a hole big enough to not mess with the infrastructure, but uh, was strong enough to help them get air and get access to food and water and all the things that they, that they need. And after 69 days, they were rescued. But there, it, was, it was on international news. Everybody was watching as they, this kind of contraption was built, and they were kind of sucked out of the mine. And you just see these mi miners coming out one by one, 33 of them. Made a moody out of it. 
Antonio Banderas, right? You know, that's a big deal when they get it. Tony, right? Um, they, they, they were one by one emerged. But something that was very interesting that was happening when they were emerging from the mine, they had their uniforms, they had their helmets, they had all these things that you would expect miners to wear, but then they were also wearing T-shirts, these tan T-shirts over their uniforms. And when you would look, you, you would see... Uh, things written on, on the back, it, it said Psalm 95, 4, that in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. It turns out that in the midst of while they were in this mine, some ministry made contact with them and were trying to keep them encouraged. So to help them stay encouraged, made them some t-shirts so that they would worship God while they're in this deep, dark Pit. And as they're emerging, you see on the front of their shirts, gracias, Señor. Thank you, Lord. I'm about to have church by myself in here. That, that you mean to tell me that these men were in this deep, dark pit. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. They were experiencing pain, experiencing all kinds of issues, but they still had perspective to say, gracias, Senor. It was interesting that one of them was interviewed and it said, he said, while they were in the pit, there's really 34 of us down here because God has not left us down here. They found the way to praise God even when their circumstances did not line up with what they believed about God. God is the joy and the strength of my life. He moves all pain, misery, and strife. He promised to keep me, never to leave me, and he never falls short of his word. God is my all in all. Do we see that? Do we see the deeper issue in the mess? May we see God's glory as we wrestle with life's hurts out there. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do not worship you as we should. There is hurt in this space, Lord. There was someone here that really struggled to enter in here, wrestling and questioning and doubting. Lord, you see and you are an amazing God that does amazing things, but it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Would you help us to see the deeper meaning? In Jesus' name, amen.